Quest, Episode 36, a special movie mashup episode. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast that dares to imagine sequels to your favorite films and movie franchises. Take a journey into the realm of cinematic possibilities with your hosts, Adam, Jeff, Justin, and Jeremy. Let the adventure begin now. You have arrived. That's right. It's Sequel Quest. A very special episode of Sequel Quest, in fact. Although I will say, I think I've mentioned that in almost every episode. This is a very special episode. This is a very, very, very special episode. This is our super mashup of Palooza. We'll get to that in just a second. But before we explain the premise of today's show, let's say hello to our fellow Sequel Questers. Say hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Say hey, Jeremy. Hey, it's Jeremy. And hey, it's Adam whole lot of hay going on here but what we're talking about tonight is this is kind of a mashup of our two formats anyway those of you who have listened to our sister podcast sequel chat know we like to just talk about movies well this is kind of a little different format tonight where we are going to be pitching our concept for a favorite movie universe mashup that's right we want to take one cinematic property and cross it over with another cinematic property and create a sequel to one or the other and determine really where you could take a story like that. So uh, I think we, I've all come in with some very interesting ideas for that. But I am curious, Jeff and Jeremy, when you think about a mashup type film, is there one that comes to mind for you? Do you have a concept? Oh, yeah, this this was definitely an example of that type of crossover. I think a lot of people would say, like, the most current one that was recently announced, which is totally off the wall, is Men in Black is going to cross over with the 21 Jump Street universe. Oh, so, that <laughs> is right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really happening. It's not like a joke. That's a real thing that's coming up. And so it's one of those things that when you think back, though, there's movie universes that are shared universes, right? Like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay? That's not what we're talking about, where, like, they've kind of built a whole franchise of films and then they cross over in the Avengers or whatever. I'm talking about movies that were technically separate at one point, and then the studio got desperate or got creative, whatever you want to call it, and put it together. This goes all the way back to, like, the Universal Monster movies. Have you ever heard of, like, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, you know? Okay. So, so it's, it's definitely that kind of scenario. It happened back then. But another one that people, I think, just assumed is like, oh, well, they were probably the same thing all along, but they weren't, was the Predator and Aliens, right? We had Alien versus Predator. That's we true. had a couple Alien versus Predator films. Well, and, and then in Predator 2, if you ever saw that, there's a scene where the Predator has an actual xenomorph alien skull in its trophy room. And so that was like where everybody thought, oh, they're going to do Alien versus Predator next. It took a long time, but eventually they got to it. And I'll just bring up uh, one more example here, which is, again, it kind of falls into the horror genre, monster movie genre. But way back when, there was Godzilla versus King Kong. So I don't know if you guys ever saw that. I remember seeing that at the video store going, what? Godzilla's going to fight King Kong? Of course. And then that was what I was excited about. The movie ended up being very boring until the end when I actually (laughs) fought. But at the beginning of it, there was a little cartoon short called Godzilla versus Bambi 
which was a, a totally unexpected crossover. And all it was was for 10 seconds, Bambi is sitting there eating some flowers in a field, and then Godzilla crushes him. The end. <laughs> which was great. For, for six-year-old me, that was some good humor. So, you came here to hear some awesome uh, crossover mashup concepts, and I think we're, we're ready to get into that. So, Jeff, do you want to lead with yours? Yes. Okay. So, um, I kind of combined um, the idea of us mishmashing uh, two genres with the idea of us mishmashing two movies. So, I took the idea from Lady in the Water, from uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water, and the story, movie, whatever, of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So if you've ever seen Lady in the Water, I know it kind of, I think it kind of gets a bum rap of one of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies. It's not like as scary or anything like that as, as some of his earlier ones, but I love like the concept that what he did was in, if, if you haven't seen the movie, he took a bedtime story that he read his children and said like, well, what if this actually happened? And what if there actually were scrunts and nymphs or whatever the heck they're called? Um, and they come into a, you know, this sort of a thing. And then they're seeking out the whole storyline and blah, blah, blah. And then he also inserts himself into the movie, writing the story as it's actually happening. And then they also throw in a critic who's lambasting the entire thing while it's happening. So it kind of was like all of this, I guess you can call it meta or whatever that was kind of all going on at the same time. So uh, how does this fit with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? That has me intrigued. Yeah, well, and again, that's where it's not really a mishmash. It's more stealing the concept and the idea of Lady in the Water. So for those of you that are familiar, Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Captain Nemo, and, you know, he's got this submarine, which at the time when he wrote that, that was a crazy idea because he went down to the bottom of the sea and blah, blah, blah. 20,000 Leagues Under it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so... This one would actually follow the story of, uh, his name actually wouldn't be Jack, because I believe the character's name is Jack in the book, but it, whatever the character's name would be, he's like a kind of a rogue and a ruffian and a sailor that uh, ships out onto this, um, uh, onto this boat with uh, a captain by the name of Nemo. And on the boat would also be Jules Verne, who is traveling on this boat, to America, let's say. I don't know exactly enough about Jules Verne's life to know where he would have sailed to or from. But he's sailing somewhere, and so as the the, the, the sea voyage is going on, he kind of, like, gets to see some of these two characters that are kind of coming to life, and so we kind of get to see some of the inspiration of Jules Verne, like, the creation of these characters. And then that's where the mishmash kind of came in it, is that even though 20,000 leagues under the sea and Jules Verne's writings, he wasn't really like a supernatural kind of an author. He was more of like a sciencey and futuristic kind of an author. But for me, I would kind of like to see some of that sci that fantasy sort of an element to it. So the big scene that everybody remembers in 20,000 leagues under the sea is when a giant, the giant squid, attacks yeah. the uh, 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 the submarine. So that would kind of be the pivotal or like the, the, the kicking off point for the story is that I would see them like the squid or maybe even they, maybe they don't even know what it is. I think that would maybe even be better. 
where they don't know what it actually is. Because again, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Nemo was destroying ships in his submarine, which everyone thought was a sea monster, then they actually get attacked by a sea monster. So the ship actually ends up getting destroyed by something that they don't exactly know what it is. And so then a handful of them, like let's say six of them, get stranded on a lifeboat. So then maybe it's just the captain, Nemo, this Jack character, Jules Verne, some other randos, and then maybe like, a, I don't know if you want to go the same route that Shyamalan did where you have a critic, somebody who just like, blasts everything that's happening or or disbelieves Jules Verne that I don't know if that fits quite as well I mean I thought it worked in Lady in the Water but I don't know if it would work as well here but then you get this dynamic of the six of them interacting on this lifeboat conflict and everything along those lines you can bring in elements like if you've ever seen Hitchcock's movie Lifeboat that's what it's all about but then the x factor would be this sea monster that is still out there and that that's kind of this like the conflict so it's the six of them battling each other and then having to battle this this sea creature as well and then all of this leads to jules verne creating this story out of this story wow okay see and i love i'm already seeing the tagline here it's like inspired by the classic novel of jules verne and the failure of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> Lifeboat at 20,000 Leagues. Exactly. Whatever you're calling it. Exactly. But I also love that when you were talking about that it's, it's showing us how the characters were inspired and developed. Makes me think of like Finding Neverland, right? So it's kind of like... Yeah, a little bit. The author experiencing people that he would then base characters on. That's kind of cool. Right, and that's a great... like. Well, the, my one fear even as i was thinking about this the thing that i wouldn't want to go down the road is that they did just do the what was it called the heart of the sea or whatever that was that was like the real life version of moby dick it's like so are you just going to do the same thing it's like that's why no like it wouldn't be the exact same story it's a different story but it's the inspiration for Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. i was really not expecting anything like that to to come around so i just that's pretty cool. Just again, taking a classic story and now adding so many different layers to it. That's that's pretty cool. Now, did you in your mind at all care about casting? Was there somebody you just felt like you wanted to star in this film or a director that you felt would be able to helm this project? Well, <laughs> other than wanting to give poor M. Night Shyamalan another crack at it. <laughs> um, well, the sad thing is, is that even as I'm thinking about these stories and these characters, like, I have real difficulty separating those several movies. So even for me, like, in thinking about Jules Verne, it's difficult not to think of one of the characters from Lady in the Water or, like, Bob ba- Backlund? Is that his name? Bob? Bob Backlund is a wrestler, former WWF okay, champion. Him. What's the one <laughs> who's in all the Christopher Guest movies? Bob Back. Oh, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Bob Balaban. Balaban, there you go. He's not a Jules Verne, but... And then I also think about, uh, what was that other movie? The Claymation movie, The Pirates with uh, Hugh Grant. It's not Jules Verne, it's actually Charles Darwin, but he's a very similar kind of wormy kind of a character. I don't know, you'd want him to be relatable. I mean, Paul Giamatti, when in doubt, he always (laughs) did. Um, But you'd want him, like... 
I don't know. I feel like Hollywood would want to make him some dashing like Chris Helmsworth. Why not? Like, well, no. well, how about how about somewhere in between? What about Casey Affleck? He's kind of weird, but he's also you yeah. know he's, he's a semi handsome guy. Bad. That's <laughs> not a bad one. I could get behind that. And he gets he's somewhere where I could see him writing and being really sciencey sure. about all of his writing. And then Ben Affleck could direct. He's like, oh, let's get my brother in on this. Yeah. Well, it does have like a similar feel to Argo. I feel with the whole human. And the writing, like, you know, the, the writing going on, yeah, or, well, the concept of a production, yeah. Right, but, so, okay. but then the other one would be, and that's the other part, too, is that, again, and if you haven't, or if you haven't since you were a little kid, seen 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with James Mason as Captain Nemo, oh, he's, he's just he's such a Captain Nemo. And so you would need somebody who's not stereotypically Captain Nemo, mm-hmm. um, and whoever, because there is a Captain Nemo in the Sean Connery movie, his last movie, sadly, the uh, League of Instro- Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. Uh, but that that was not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> what? what you, what's, what's wrong with that Captain Nemo? He was fine. Well, I try and forget everything that that movie did, so... Uh, well, as do I. I. You know who I was going to say would actually be a good Captain Nemo? It may seem odd, but he could probably play quirky but not totally ridiculous comedy is a is it's an, a guy named Jermaine Clement do you know who he is uh, oh the flight of the concords exactly like he just seemed he looks like a captain nemo to me and he was in men in black three right he was the bad guy in men in black three but he, he was a very you know kind of yeah. creature-esque in that one but but i just feel like he could he could probably play like because he was also a gentleman broncos which was from the director of napoleon dynamite which is a terrible follow-up to <laughs> napoleon dynamite or uh nacho libre both of which are excellent but Gentleman Bronco's terrible, but Jermaine Clement was actually pretty pretty good in that movie. And he, he felt like that very kind of serious but little off character that well, I felt like Captain side, Nemo would be. On the flip side, though, speaking of him and uh, Napoleon Dynamite, uh, if you ever get to see Eagle versus Shark, it's the New Zealand version of Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah? Him. So <laughs> he's very awkward. See, for me... He's a little too awkward. I might picture more like, well, one, other than the fact that I don't think he can do a British accent, but the more and more that I see him, Ron Perlman, all the roles that I can. Ah, so I can see Ron Perlman. Yeah. Pretty good I love Ron, sure. As long as he could sing this little ditty. Got a whale of a tale to tell you, lads. A oh, whale of a, a tale or two. That was Nemo. That was a good song. <laughs> Nemo didn't sing. That's true. He played the organ, though. Yes. I, I remember that was on display at Disneyland for years at the submarine ride. They had the organ, Captain Nemo's organ. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I don't know this movie. Oh, anyway. All right, Jeremy, I know you had a concept in mind. Did you want to throw that at us? Yes. I. It's a very not so well-known movie, I guess. It's a book that I loved growing up called Hatchet um, about the boy he's the lone survivor of a plane crash in Canada and it just documents his survival really Um, can I I just tell you Jeremy the most haunting image described in that book 
is how when his plane crashes and then at a certain point he has to go down to the plane and swim to get supplies and it talked about like the floating dead corpse of the pilot still yeah. strapped in you know yeah i was just like oh as a kid that freaked me out so i i did some research and they did make a movie out of it back in 1990 called a cry in the wild it didn't get good reviews at all just uh Bad adaptation, I guess. I would want to mash that up with Tomb Raider. Not the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider, but this new Tomb Raider that's coming up. More based off of the video game that came out recently. I'd kind of do it how they're both on the same plane, but the plane breaks into separate pieces and they end up... We're following two different survival stories in the wild and they meet up and that's how they end up fully surviving because the kid is like 13 uh she'd Mm -hmm. be early 20s so it would be interesting to see how each one would survive based off of their their different knowledge bases i guess see i thought you were gonna go hatchet and then my side of the mountain do you remember that book oh yes yes (laughs) i did look into that one same premise uh, yeah. Very similar, but he runs away and does it all on his own. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, wait, in this version of Tomb Raider, so she's not like uh, she's not like Indiana Jones on steroids or anything. No, uh, how to explain it? She's. It's more like a survival sort of a thing. Kind of castaway, but she has the skills to survive and knows how to shoot and take care of herself. Did you see like? And I don't know if you, you, if either of you guys were big uh, Lost fans, but the things that made Lost so unique and interesting was the fact that so much of it was kind of about who they were, and then I guess larger scheme that turned out to be very, very important, uh, but about their own backstory. So would that be something that this was like about who they were before the crash, or is it just like a survival like? Yeah, because I was wondering like it's a survival, but what are they like? Is it really about surviving, or do they ultimately, is there like a villain, like a bad guy on the plane, too, and somehow, like, they're all trying to survive, or he's trying to kill them, or something, you know, like, what, what do you see as the main conflict? Is hmm. it just the elements? Is it a person? Or is there a goal, something they're trying to accomplish, other than stay alive? Well, I think primarily it would be staying alive would be the first priority there. You could have some sort of a how do you put it, Uh, a ticking clock. They were all on a plane for a reason, heading to something very important to all of their futures kind of thing. Maybe his dad was an explorer type that worked with Laura Croft, and on this mission he dies, and so the kid kind of steps in as an understudy once they meet back up, and Hmm. they're going to find some artifact or do something of the like manner it would be more yeah just a survival story and you could you could certainly do where the adversary is nature it's man versus nature and it sounds like kind of like you were saying is that it's the main thrust of it is the fact that you've got these two separate stories and I, i think what you're saying is that each one of them survives but they have their own style like you said their own skills and their own backstory so they survive in different ways is that right yeah yeah i would definitely have them surviving in different ways different ways of going about it and it's the combination of their 
skills that really accelerates them in getting back to civilization, I guess. That, that is really cool. Again, you got, I think it's so interesting. You guys kind of both went back to literature. You're like, let me take one literature kind of concept and then let me take a cinematic concept, you know, and then put them together. Like, you huh. know, obviously liter- literature that's been adapted, but, but I just think that's so, so cool that you guys had that as a starting point. I obviously probably don't read enough. <laughs> Why is that obvious? <laughs> I don't but read I enough do nowadays. Yeah, but um, so like, here's here's my confession for the night. Um, I am secretly uh, kind of a horror movie fan. And now I, I blame this on because growing up in the 80s, what? And 90s, it was, it was kind of hard not to be into horror on some level because like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger were everywhere. Like references were on sitcoms, they're in our cartoons. There was even toys and video games of these characters, which are just totally inappropriate, you know. <laughs> you know, and so and like at the elementary school Halloween parades, kids were dressed as Freddy Krueger or Jason. You know, they were just as iconic as Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny or G.I. Joe. You know, like it was just I feel like they were all over. So I was always like fascinated, like going to the video store and seeing the, the VHS boxes. But I was too scared, you know, and obviously I was not allowed to rent them. So I would just go to talk to my friends on the playground and be like, you saw Child's Play? What is it? Why does he kill people? And I just have them tell me the whole movie. That was, I got all my, my horror secondhand. But as I kind of grew up, I started renting like the classic Universal monster movies, you know, Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, all that kind of stuff. And then in my single years, I did kind of start exploring the things that scared me in my youth and seeing all the major horror franchises. Um, and A Nightmare on Elm Street really became my favorite of all of those, especially like the three movies that feature like the Heather Langenkamp, Nancy Thompson character. I think those are the strongest ones. And what I like about them is they're kind of like adventure fantasy horror type of idea. It's it's like people that are kind of smart. They're real. They have real character about them and they're fighting back against this killer. in their creative ways, finding their own strength. So it's not just pretty people getting slashed up. You know, it's, it's, it is actually like, you know, they had characters with some gumption with some attitude. Um, plus, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree. Freddy Krueger is like the ultimate showman of the monster world. I mean, you just have to applaud his creativity. I feel like he he could just come up and slice you to ribbons. You know, he can just cut you up and there it is. Instead, he'll do stuff. He'll turn you into an insect and then he'll squish you in a roach motel. Or, oh, you want to be a big star? You know, he's going to give your face an extreme close-up right into a TV screen. You know, he's a monster, but he's having so much fun being evil. <laughs> you just want to jump in for the ride, you know? So, but like... Growing up, like, the closest I got to horror were, like, Tim Burton movies, like Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. You know, like, those were, like, they were kind of creepy and scary, but they were also goofy, so you you could go along with them. So when I thought about it, I said the ultimate mashup for me then just seems to be a showdown between two sets of razor-sharp hands, right? You have the, the sweet, innocent Edward Scissorhands versus the malevolent murderer Freddy Krueger. And so <laughs> my mashup is uh, between those two franchises, it's called Edward Scissorhands 2 Nightmare Alley. Now, before I get into it, I will say there technically is already a connection between these two universes in that A Nightmare on Elm Street was Johnny Depp's first movie. 
So right. that was the first thing he ever did. And so and then uh, Edward Scissorhands was kind of a reaction to him being labeled as a teen heartthrob. Like he hated that. Like in all, like they, in all the interviews I've read, he's like, I did not want to be this like guy in Teen Beat magazine that wasn't who I was. So he started going to these against type characters that Tim Burton gave him a chance to play. So with that, uh, here's the, you know, the tagline would be something like, it's Freddy versus Eddie in a battle for the souls of the innocent. So, but basically, so the film opens with a, it's a flashback montage showing the years following the events of the first film. And Kim, who is Winona Ryder's uh, character, is secretly uh, visiting Edward every year when she visits her family for Christmas, and they exchange presents. And he is always giving her a new little charm that he has carved just for her. And as she gets older and she gets married and she has a daughter, she starts giving the charms to her daughter. Now it's 20 years after the first film. Kim's divorced. She's moving back in with her parents. And she has a 10-year-old daughter named Irene. And she, as they've moved back into town, has started singing this really creepy rhyme that she found in this tattered old storybook. She's just singing, One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four. Anyway, so she goes off with that. It's starting to kind of creep everybody out. But what that does is it summons the spirit of Freddy Krueger, who now kind of crosses over into that California neighborhood and starts terrorizing Irene in her dreams. And she just, when she wakes up screaming... And Kim runs in. What happened? What happened? You know, she's just telling her it was a scary man with a weird face and knives for hands. So now Kim is thinking, oh, she's talking about Edward because I've told her stories about Edward when she was growing up. So she just kind of looks the other way. Oh, don't worry, honey. Those are just stories. So anyway, we see also that inside the dreams, because this continues, Freddie's tormenting her, is the only way she's able to hold off Freddie is she grabs the charms off her bracelet and in her dreams she can turn them into these monsters or creatures that'll protect her but freddy kind of starts getting stronger and stronger and able to defeat him so meanwhile as we're kind of in this world and we're seeing their day-to-day life kim is now dating this hunky mechanic in town who's also played by johnny depp in a dual role (laughs) and his name is lou and he treats her well and he's really great with her daughter but edward kind of sees them from up on his house on the hill and you know he catches eyes with kim at one point you can see that he's really upset and hurt by it you know that she's you know obviously choosing someone more normal to be with now at the same time as Edward is feeling, again, isolated and, and, you know, detracted and everything. Freddy starts visiting him in his dreams while he's real vulnerable. He pretends to be a friend who understands what it's like to be an outcast. And he's dressed like the Vincent Price inventor character. So Edward feels so good. And then Freddy gives him these hands in his dreams and creates this dream world where he's married to Kim and he's got this happy suburban life and he's normal and so he's Edward's happy but in the real world what's happening is he's in a sleepwalk state and Freddy is sending his body out to kill people and the first person he kills is Lou and so the mechanic gets it he gets impaled you know uh, after getting slashed up a little bit he gets impaled on a, a car jack and so what happens is, you know, Edward's totally unaware of it, and Irene's dreams are starting to get worse as well. So 
Kim takes her up there to meet Edward and she says, look, I want, I want you to meet my friend. He's the one I've been telling you about. He's very nice. There's nothing to be afraid of. But when they get there, the little girl says, no, that's not the man who's scaring me. The man who's scaring me is burned. And so all of a sudden now Ed, and she draws a picture and Edward freaks out because he's like, that's my friend. My friend is doing bad things. You know, he's so innocent. He doesn't understand. He tells Kim and Irene to get out, you know, because he's so concerned and confused. So basically, he then goes, you know, that night to sleep. He confronts Freddy and he totally admits to it. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm the star of our nightmares. You know, he's totally all about it. And he says, basically, if you don't keep killing for me, I'm going to kill the girl. So now Edward is just like, you know, so frightened and he doesn't know what to do. So that night, Freddy sends him out to kill these frat boys that have been terrorizing Edward. So he feels kind of justified. They've been shooting out his windows and hassling him. So the frat boys are all passed out drunk, which is why he can go into the dream and kill them, essentially, is what Freddy is, is sending him to do. But Edward stops himself, and then as that starts happening, you know, Freddy's mad at Edward. Edward doesn't want to help him. But then the word is starts spreading about this knife-handed killer. Of course, everybody remembers that Edward killed... Uh, Kim's boyfriend Jim at the end of the first movie so now they're suspecting him Kim's starting to suspect him but she finds Edward kind of in this alleyway just after that that almost killing and he said he all he's could tell her he's so traumatized it's not me you know she's just scared so basically she believes him except that that night then Kim or her daughter wakes up and she's got cuts on her hands that look like they're from Edward because Kim got a cut from Edward by accident in the first movie. And so now basically she is like real concerned. Why would Edward attack my daughter? Then she finds out that Lou is dead. Her boyfriend has been killed again by cuts and some other nefarious ways. So now she's totally convinced Edward's just jealous that anybody's taking attention away. She goes up, confronts him, throws the charms at him. And it's a real cinematic moment. He's tried to grab the charms with his hands, but he just cuts the string and they all fall down in slow motion. And then ultimately... He gets arrested. The townspeople drag him off to jail. Then in jail, Irene, the little girl, sneaks out that night and she goes to Edward and says, I know it's not you. We together, we can fight the bad man, you know. So they agree to go to bed at the same time. They have a big showdown where Edward goes and battles Freddy blade to blade, which is what we all want to see, you know. So <laughs> we have that showdown. But eventually Freddy uses his dream powers to trap Edward a bunch of like hundreds of hands come out of the ground and out of the ceiling and out of the walls and they're holding him down. And then Freddie brings Kim into it. So he's torturing her in front of Irene and, and Edward and the little girl's just too afraid to fight back to Eddie, but she finally gets up the courage and she summons this charm. That's a little dove and it just kind of comes in innocently and that transforms into this really like vicious, grotesque vulture. And it just pulls and pecks uh, Freddie apart limb by limb. And then he's finally destroyed. But when they wake up, they find out there's really no way to exonerate Edward because he did technically commit the crimes and they can't prove it was all dream induced. So he does go to jail, but he gets out a work release program to shape the topiaries for government buildings throughout the state. So they can still see him every Christmas. They come to visit him in prison. This Christmas, he delivers one last charm that is a pair of hands that he gives to Kim. And then all of a sudden, at the last second, the hand grows really large, giant claws come out of it and it attacks them all and it goes to black as you hear Freddy laughing in the background. 
the end. <laughs> that does seem to be how those, yeah, Freddy movies, he never, yeah. does he? He's never totally done. <laughs> right. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, do, yeah, I mean, hey, sorry. <laughs> no, Gotta no. get my That's, horror fix. For me, like, I know, I feel like horror has, they've substituted gore for horror, where I'm not going to scare you anymore. I'm just going to gross you out. So it's good to have, like, yeah, I mean, you want to creep people out. You want to really get into their heads and find out what it is that actually freaks them out. And so, yeah, that's what Freddy Krueger invading your dreams. That's pretty scary because no one likes nightmares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, the remake was not very good because they, you know, it just didn't work. It didn't work. I feel like the the one mashup that I didn't mention purposely was Freddy versus Jason, right? And that was a huge hit. I actually have not seen that one yet, but I know it was a huge hit when it was in theaters. Everybody seemed to to really be excited about that finally happening. So why not have Freddy just team up with all sorts of characters, right? right. Edwards, let's find somebody else. You know, Freddy versus Spider Man. Why not? Yeah. You know, Freddy versus Wolverine. There's the there's the real one. We exactly. got to do. <laughs> well, and I wonder too, like you were saying, Adam, is that that Freddy, like I I, I don't know. I wonder because you know if you ever go to Universal Studios, they every year that they do, or is it Universal? No, it's Knott's Berry Farm. Every year that they have their their not scary farm, Freddy Krueger is always the star. He's the one that leads their big stage show, and he's always got the wisecracks. And he's not always Elvira? Like, oh no, 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 no! It's been Freddy Krueger for decades. Yeah. Where he's he's yeah he because he's always got the the quips and he's you know funny and whatever. And I kind of feel like that maybe even more the movies have kind of ended up following along with this character that has been created where he mm-hmm. is so like charismatic in this weird kind of way yeah i mean ultimately that's what it became it became the freddy show yeah and so like and then yeah you just waited for okay how is he gonna kill somebody creatively and what's his joke gonna be well and it's that interesting thing like for me in hearing like the heartbreaking thing about hearing your pitch is the fact that already edward scissorhands is already so tragic i mean mm-hmm. it's not a happy ending or was that one and so then it's just kind of like oh we're gonna pick on him some more prison oh poor guy yeah i mean it's one of those things it's like i just knew it couldn't have a happy ending though because it is a tragic universe that or scissorhands universe you know so (laughs) as much as you triumph you still have to be brought down a peg or two so is there any other just as we've been talking now as we're closing out the show are there any other mashups that you guys are just thinking like maybe not a full pitch on but you just say you know what i feel like this is something that needs to these two universes need to meet somehow i mean outside of the x-men universe over at fox right. and the marvel universe you know it's like that not quite that <clears throat> that which by the way just as, as a throw-in that was the one and i was talking to my wife about this the other day the one that i really wish fox and marvel could get along with because it'd be so much better than the infinity war would be to do onslaught Onslaught would be such a wonderful movie series to build up to instead of Infinity War. But they can't because they would need both sides. Uh, fingers crossed here, they are in talks. Kind oh, of. Well, kind of. They're kind of, they're are, kind well, of like. A show right. Up that's called Legion. Well, yeah. that's that's an they're, FX show. They're also oh, FX, right. yeah, they're yeah. in cahoots in planning another X Men TV show, and I believe that Come on, was bring back Generation X. Give them another yeah, shot. no, no, 
but they are talking on the movie side because they're seeing how much it's benefiting Sony already. Before the you're a year out from the movie and nobody people can't stop talking about Spider-Man. So they're in talks. I would hope it's for the Fantastic 4 at least and maybe maybe some more crossover between the X-Men and all of that would be a perfect fill-in for after Infinity War because, you know, with the Infinity Gauntlet, you can reshape the universe, your reality, (laughs) and (laughs) it's the easy fix for, oh, this is why there's X-Men now. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other other mashup, I mean, it's kind of obvious. I don't remember if we've talked about it or I've heard it somewhere else, but... The Fast and Furious franchise and Transformers. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That, I, mean, I feel like it's just a matter of time, that one. I mean, Fast and Furious characters already basically have superpowers, so uh-huh. why not just like cross it over total sci-fi adventure situation for them? I think that'd be pretty neat, actually. I mean, their, <laughs> their next frontier is going to be space, so maybe yeah, even Star Trek be. picks up the cast of Fast and Furious. The one that I was thinking about, and it's it's... It is a mashup, but it's not. It kind of already happened. Would be the Nolan verse, and to actually have Christopher Nolan do a Christopher Nolan style superhero movie, because his Batman movies were the least Christopher Nolan y he has been. They weren't very weird. They weren't like crazy and out there. But look at it like Interstellar and Memento and uh, what was the uh, Inception. And just being like, what would it look like if he got his hands on somebody where they're like, just Chris, go for it, buddy. Like, let's see what you got. And just that he could blow our minds by just who knows where the heck he'd go. I I now, would agree if, that yeah. could be interesting. Maybe like having an, an in, interstellar inception inside Batman's head. <laughs> Maybe. Because wow. I mean, yeah. my guess, and it kind of looks like what they're playing with, with Doctor Strange. I'm not terribly optimistic myself, but I feel like if if Christopher Nolan was given Doctor Strange and said this like, you know what? We believe that people will buy the whole magic thing, so go nuts. And I bet you he could. And give us something 50% of people would hate because they wouldn't get it. But all right, let's do this thing. Yeah, I would say... Um... For me, one mashup that I think would be really interesting, again, because we've seen so many Batman movies already, and, you know, how many times can he fight the Joker? How many times can he <laughs> fight Bane or whatever? You know? Yeah, so, like, so I would love a crossover with Batman's inspiration. Now, obviously, I love the Alec Baldwin Shadow film, so I would love to see a crossover of the Shadow and the Batman universes. And, and so it, kind of a situation where they have to team up as detectives. It's kind of like world's greatest detectives getting together and saving the day, you know, that they each have their special skill set that they can work into it. I think that would be kind of a fun, just new direction to take Batman, where do it kind of a brave and the bold style thing. Huh. Where Batman kind of has a series of films where he teams up with different heroes. I, I think that would be pretty fun. Well, either that I would or start with the shadow. Either that or maybe a Batman time travel thing, and he goes back and teams up with uh, Sherlock. Oh, hey, that could work too. Although, is Sherlock Holmes going to be all about a guy in a bat costume? Well, I mean, he would have to tone it down for the time period. Well, there there is that movie or movie, the graphic novel Gotham by Gaslight. 
Yeah. Right. Where Batman's right. on the trail of Jack the Ripper, oh, Jack so that could kind of fit that that time frame. That was actually the thing I was thinking of. Oh, there it is. See. <laughs> So with that, I think this is this has been a pretty fun episode. I, I feel like I know our listeners out there have got to have their favorite mashup ideas. So as you hear this episode, tweet at us, you know, at SQPod. Let us know some of your ideas because that's that's got to be uh, there's there's a plenty of opportunities we're missing. We, we'd love to hear it. And we'll we'll try to give you a, a little bit more. You know, we may have some ideas between now and the time this drops online uh, for you to listen to so we might throw a few other uh concepts out uh, onto our twitter and facebook and google plus let's let's never forget google plus come on join us there we need some company anyway that is all unless you guys had some closing comments something you just felt you had to get off your chest we we do need another <laughs> national treasure movie with nick cage though yeah <laughs> I could send you the screenshot. I have that on my potential list. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got a mashup national treasure with, like, serendipity. Come on. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just mix up the Sandlot and the Dirty Dozen. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a million of them, folks. So, again, join us next week uh, or the week after, however long this takes. I know, sometimes we're infrequent, but we are doing our best to get these shows out to you on a regular basis. We got all sorts of stuff coming, so, uh, and as you want to give us ideas, again, we're open to it. If there's a movie you've been dying to hear a sequel uh, conceived for, we're we're always up to, uh, to make your dreams come true. All right, well, until next time, ciao for now, ta-ta. That's all I got. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 